Broadcasting from another dimension, deep within the Ghost Shrimp National Forest, sending you secrets from the future directly into your motherfucking mind. <laughs> What up, everybody? Oh, it is episode 51 of the Ghost Shrimp and Friends podcast. Um, hope everybody is out there feeling good. You know what I'm saying? Uh, this is a very hype episode. Um, we got the homie Phil Rinda up in this shit. You know what I'm saying? Original character designer from Adventure Time. Um, hired right after me um, on the show early on navigating those choppy waters you know what i'm saying of season one of adventure time um like i like i promised we're continuing to just revel uh in the in 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 the glory of adventure time bask in the glow that is possibly the greatest cartoon ever to be made in the history of this universal reality you know what i'm saying um so we had fun chopping it up it was awesome he remembered so much stuff that i uh you know have been talking about but just like details that i didn't remember um which is great because it fills in some of the gaps um uh, from the from the earlier reminiscences that we've been doing on this jehuseo podcast you know what I'm saying um so uh yeah and 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 phil was uh he just crushed it man this, this is one of the episodes that i love because i barely said anything he just jumped on and just took it away this is really the the phil rinda and ghost shrimp podcast right now um so uh so that's really fun because you y'all know i know y'all hear me talking all the fucking time so i love it when someone comes up here and just fucking steals the show um and he has so many nice things to say about me which is incredible because we established right off the bat that uh you know when we first met he thought i was a dick so uh <laughs> glad that i was able to redeem myself in the eyes of Phil Rinda. He's a very accomplished uh, human in the field of animation. Um, if you check out his IMDb, he's worked on tons of shit. Um, he is currently a development executive at Netflix. You know what I'm saying? That big time. He's got the big time. You know he's got an in-ground pool. You know he only does Uber limo. Okay, you know he's got a private Uber limo waiting outside his house all the time because this boy is made, you know what I'm saying? Minted in Hollywood, you know? And I couldn't be more happy for my man. Um, I remember when I met Phil on Adventure Time, um, I thought it was a nice dude. and uh, But, you know, he's like an East Coast dude, so he's got that chip on his shoulder. We're all about that trash talking and all that. And I was like, yeah, he's cool. And, uh, you know, he didn't really have... Uh, his own style or anything like that and I remember we would kind of talk about it sometimes he'd be like yeah I don't know my you know uh, you know you kind of be in that quandary of of a lot of people kind of coming out uh, you know wondering where they fit in um, what their voice is as an artist and uh, you know I was like oh cool this guy's you know this guy's a guy that's on his quest but then you know I really came to respect him as a technician you know um not everybody is meant to have a have a pioneering style and go out and 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 stand out and be completely unique you know what i'm saying and uh you know he 
really came and just brought the fundamentals and he leveled up you know what i'm saying it's not like you need your own style to level up like like i, I was like oh he's a cool dude and then i just watched his dedication uh you know week in and week out and and his attention to detail and he says it here his best uh quality as a creative person is facilitating other people's visions you know what i'm saying and he truly is talented at that he has a real gift for it um and uh you know i came to have a lot of respect for him um you know as we work together and just like wow this guy's really good um and he just kept getting better and better and he created some of the real iconic um you know imagery of finn and jake um uh, promotional stuff and and early concept stuff you know as we were getting as we were as we were working on it before it was in production and uh yeah man you know uh you know he was he did most of the talking but i wanted to make sure that i got some praise in on phil because uh he's a legit cool dude you know what i'm saying and it's great to have um someone on the executive development end that actually was in here doing the creative thing you know what i'm saying um that's not something that i would you know ever be inclined to do um you know just because like i'm not wired that way i don't want to run my own show i don't want i want to just be in my fucking sketchbook doing my shit you know what i'm saying but i so appreciate um that there is a a someone on the executive level that has really been through it's like mike moon you know what I'm saying he was an artist and then he was an executive and he was a pleasure to work with i've been posting a lot of the pinchy and paunchy stuff on instagram recently uh, that was a pilot that i sold to disney and worked on and you know created it uh storyboarded it and designed it um and uh, this was all with mike moon and unfortunately he ended up leaving disney and we never got to get it animated um but uh but it was such a fun process and you know i, I really jived with him and, uh, you know, he, he was just into just do your own thing. You know, I think that, uh, you know, when you've been on the artistic end of things, you understand what it's like. And it's not just, you know, an executive trying to get their two cents in and they've never been a creative person and they're just not on that uh, interdimensional uh, uh, level as far as it comes to, you know, progressive creative thinking and, and appreciation of the craft and pushing it forward. You know, there are good executives that aren't creative people, but you know, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a cliche for a reason that executives are kind of, uh, out to lunch. Um, so I'm so hyped to, uh, to, to have him over there and we're definitely having back on the podcast once he's, uh, you know, once the projects that he's developing are out in the world and he can talk about them more and all that. Um, so that's going to be really fun, but he's, he's worked on so many projects, um, he has worked on, uh, obviously adventure time and, uh, he went on to be an executive at Nickelodeon. Um, and he character designed on tons of shit. I know Billy and Mandy. I know he did some stuff on Steven universe. If you pull up his IMDB, he's just worked on tons of shit. Um, you know, he, he did some stuff for symbiotic Titan. Um, I think he did. He, I thought he was the head graphic, uh, the head character designer for gravity falls, but um, no, I guess that was, uh, I guess that was, um, Robert Ryan Corey. I don't know. I'm confused. I'm always confused. You know what I'm saying? But, uh, but big shout out to Phil, go to the internet. Don't trust everything you read on the internet. Don't trust everything you hear on this fucking podcast. Um, and, and also we end with a very strong alien story, which I always fucking love. Um, you know, uh, you know, Phil, Phil, Phil might be an alien. He might've just 
admitted that he was actually abducted and replaced with a replicant. Okay, and that could really account for some of his success. You know what I'm saying? Because we all know the world is run. This flat, hollow world is run by the shape-shifting reptile overlords. And they only put people in power that they have replicated and shifted and have mind control over. You know what I'm saying? But... If you can't beat them, join them. So you got to get down with that shit too. You know what I'm saying? So even if Phil is a shape-shifting reptile alien, he's my homie. You know, as we say on this podcast, you always have more in common with someone than you have in conflict. That might even be true of the reptile alien overlords. Um, you know, so uh, so big shout out to Phil the reptile alien overlord. Um, killing the game over there in Hollywood. Land of the shape-shifting reptilian overlords. You know what I'm saying? The pipeline to Washington. Next thing we know... It's going to be a Senator Phil Rinda. You know what I'm saying? He's going to be State Representative Phil Rinda. You know what I'm saying? President of California Phil Rinda. So anyway, we're getting silly as we always do on this podcast. But um, this should be a real motivating conversation for people too. You know, there's all different pathways to success in this industry. Um, and, uh, and, and, and it's so cool to hear about um you know everybody's journey because there's no one way you know everybody's journey is unique and i think phil's is really unique and really cool and uh, i'm glad that we're friends i'm glad that we uh you know have cross paths cross swords so to speak um and uh and we were able to work on uh you know project together and and be in the trenches before we knew what it was going to be and then have it blow up and have it be so big you know what i'm saying so i know that we all have a real camaraderie um from that time and it's great to just get in there and talk about that. So uh, let's see. Uh, without further ado, let's kick it over to my man, AWOL1. All right, here we are once again with a very special guest. We've been talking about getting this man on the podcast for quite some time. He's been getting shout outs. Uh, of course, none other than Phil Rinda. Welcome to the podcast, Phil. What's up, man? How's it going? Happy to be here. Yeah, it's going great, man. We've been uh, basking in the glow of the Adventure Time finale, all the love for the show, and so I've been talking a lot about it lately. Uh, me and Kent, uh, of course, my new neighbor and new best friend, um, watched, <laughs> watched the finale together, and we did a finale reaction pod, and then I was just reminiscing on the last pod, and and I was trying to remember the first time that we met, um, and uh, and and I was saying that it was shortly after I got hired. This is my recollection. It could be wrong because I can't remember if we met before Adventure Time or not. But uh, we did. We met before Adventure Time. Okay. Okay. So tell me about it. We met. Well, it's funny because I first heard your name because um, I feel like you met Pete Browngart at a party in right Brooklyn. in New York. I remember he came back. Either I don't th- I don't know if he was in L.A. yet or maybe he had just moved to L.A. or moved back to L.A. Um, and we were working on probably Chowder at the time. And he came back and he was like, yo, dude, I met this guy. He's crazy. 
this ghost shrimp guy. You've seen his comics, and he showed me. Uh, he had your that mosquito, the or the vampire comic. Yeah. Um, and we were looking at that, and I was like, wow, this guy's amazing. And he was like, oh, he's awesome. He's so cool. Uh, I think he's going to do some work on Flapjack or something. So yeah, yeah. I remember you were doing Flapjack, and you would fly out, and you would spend a couple weeks and then kind of go back and forth. Or maybe right, that's do- when I was freelancing, and I was living in my cabin in New Hampshire. Uh, I feel like you were with maybe Jackie, and you came into my cube – and like I just I like my memory of that moment was like you had a mouthful of Twizzlers <laughs> and, or Red Vines and you had like pockets stuffed full of candy and you just kept eating candy and saying how much you loved all the snacks at Cartoon Network. And like you kind of came in like a like a tornado, like a candy tornado. <laughs> and I was like, who is this crazy guy? And then I was like, oh, shit, this is the guy that that Pete had mentioned. Oh my um, god, that's so, so funny. That's, I mean, but like, we didn't really get to know each other until Adventure Time, until you know, until first season, and right. you know, um, coming in because because uh, you were on so early, and then um, and then we met once I got there. Right, right, yeah, I remember that. I remember like, yeah, I guess remember that did make sense that we had already known each other when we met. I just remember like when you came on the show, we were just like standing in front of the conference room, I think or something on the floor that we started on and you were like, Oh, I'm on the show now. And I was like, Oh shit, cool. That's like the first thing I was remembering, but that's really funny. I was really impressed with the snacks, like the break room for flapjack. It was in the old building, that one that we call the death star or whatever at first. And yeah, yeah, they had basically a convenience store, like literally in the snack room. And I never had a cavity in my life. And I got four cavities in like the few months that I worked on Flapjack. Like that's how much candy I ate. Like every day I would go in and select like a mountain of the choicest candy and then just eat it all day. Like every day my my trash bin was like half full of candy wrappers. It was a very bad scene. Good. Oh, yeah. Four four cavities. That is amazing. Yeah. The only four cavities I've ever had. That's well. They're your flapjack cavities. All That's at your, once. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it, le- it left you with something. <laughs> That's right. Oh um, man, that's so funny. Yeah, and I and I was I, I was saying on the podcast yesterday. I remember you telling me when we first met. You were like, "Yeah, I, I like I thought you were a dick when we first met, but then I was like, oh, yeah, this guy's not too. He's this guy's cool.' <laughs> like I was trying to. I was. I was. I, did you say that? I was trying to remember. Yes, that, that is that is one hundred percent true. And I almost said it today, and then I'm and I was like, maybe I'm not going to say that. And then you just said it. Yeah. I mean, I feel like what's so you know. um there are fed, very few people that I that I know in my life, and I know a few, and you're definitely one of them, Dan. Where like, you know, you kind of you are always you, and you come at people with with um, with everything. There's like, you know, like you don't ease into friendships, <laughs> relationships. Like you right. are purely you. And I gotta say, like it was uh, it was shocking at first, and it was like, whoa, it was kind of it was kind of crazy. Um, and I think also because you were hopped up on sugar, yeah. Uh, it was probably uh, uh, exponentially more intense, but um, but like you know, I don't know. For me, and and I don't. I, I, this is the honest truth. Is like I felt like it took me a second to get onto your wavelength and yeah. get it to speed. And then once I did, once I figured that out, I was like, wow, like Dan is one of the the most passionate artists, the most hardworking people I've ever met. Singular in your approach, and like really really good friend 
You know, like I was like, oh, when you're like your intensity doesn't um, doesn't have boundaries. It's like it truly uh, is your entire life. And that in, 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 you know, and I love it. And, you know, all the way to the point where, you know, and now we're like jumping ahead. But when you first said that you were going to save some money and buy some land, I think a lot of us were like, this guy's crazy. Like, yeah. <laughs> and then you were like on a hiatus and you were like, show, I remember you came back and you were showing me like printouts of the listings of the property and of the multiple properties out in the woods. And I feel like you were looking at stuff in New Hampshire and Vermont. Like you were kind of looking all over the Northeast. Yeah. Uh, in Maine too. Yeah. Pete, Pete came Maine? on a camping trip with me while I was out there to Maine to camp out on a property that I was looking at. It was awesome, and 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 I feel like the you know you said you were gonna do it and you did it, and um, it's awesome, it's awesome, Dan. So I feel like that's just you know that's so you. I mean, I also and it, we're really jumping around, but like you know, you guys got married on on April first. It, <laughs> it was April Fool's Day, yes. and I think you. I don't even know if you told people it was a wedding. Like I I just remember like the I remember the feeling I had was like I'm going to a party. Because you, I think maybe you sent an invitation saying it was a wedding, but it also had an April Fool's joke in the invitation. So like so many of so many of us showed up at your place, like not really knowing what was going on, and then all of a sudden you're getting married, and I, I remember eating oranges off of your tree in your backyard, like. It was crazy. It was a crazy day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we had the wedding we had earlier in the day in the backyard, and my mom's a minister, so she married us, and it was just like literally like 20 family members. And then we had a big reception party with with all the homies, you know, from the studio and all that stuff. And so that's when all you guys came. And yeah, uh, yeah it was such a blast. It was like super low-key, but like just super fun. And I remember we had the we had the projector going with Top Gun, and I yes. got married in the jumpsuit, and we had the yes. Nintendo on the projector, <laughs> and I just bought like a whole bunch of '80s albums and put them on a playlist, and we were just like playing '80s music, like 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 Kenny Loggins and stuff all yeah. night. It was kind of like a Top Gun wedding, really. It was, it was a Top Gun wedding. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, but yeah, right. dude, yeah, it was it was. I think the yeah the flyer we still have it. It was like welcome to the or like you're invited to the first first annual bandit wedding or whatever reception or whatever so yeah it was to the party but yeah that was a really fun time it was awesome it was really good um but yeah man i remember you know to go back to adventure time like you know i like i love that short and then when i got I, I met pen before he was at cartoon network because my wife amanda had had went to school with him so I met him at a Nicktoons festival um, and loved Adventure Time. And then when he started on Flapjack, like I'd see him around. And then once I heard that it was over at Cartoon Network, I was like, I've got to work on this show. Um, and my story is that I actually didn't get the job um, at first. Uh, there was a, you know, Robert Ryan Corey was doing characters on it. And yeah, I remember that. I remember, um, I was in Penn's office and he had and and Corey had done a drawing of like Finn and Jake uh, and maybe the Ice King. And it was amazing. And I didn't and I didn't talk to Penn about it. I don't even think Corey was on the show yet, um, but it was this drawing that was hung up in Penn's office. And then I took I took a storyboard test and I was a terrible board artist um, and I kind of like bombed that test. And then I took a character design test and I just kind of drew kind of like Corey. 
because I just assumed he was kind of the lead designer on the show. Right. But what I didn't know was that, you know, he, he had been on it in the beginning. And I think that he and Penn and Pat and Adam couldn't quite find the style they were looking for. So Corey was only on it for a short little time. But that one drawing that he did really made an impact on me. I was, you know, I'm, I'm still a fan of his work. He's an amazing designer. Um, and, I, and I did my test. And I kind of did some drawings that I was sort of trying to do what I saw in that one illustration. Right. And I didn't get the job because uh, it wasn't what they were looking for. And I didn't realize that they had been going down that road. Right, right. But then Larry, uh, like Letter, the, 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 the soup director at the time, he came into my office and was like, hey, I think you can do this job. you know." And he gave me a drawing. He gave me a pen drawing of Finn in the Jake suit. Um, and he gave me an Adam drawing of a werewolf character that never made it onto the show. It's actually the funny thing about the werewolf character was it was based on Jesus, who was a who was a classmate at CalArts with all those guys, and he's the same guy that Seuss from Gravity Falls is based on. So there was like a proto Seuss character that was a a, a werewolf on Adventure Time that never made it to the screen. Oh my but they, gosh. He gave me these two drawings and he said, you know, can you do turnarounds? And one looked like Adam's drawings, which are amazing and really precise. And then Penn's looked like he drew it with a crayon. And, <laughs> and then he said, turn these. And I said, well, these are like they're from two different shows. Do you want me to try to like find a style for them? Like find the in-between? He said, nope. I just want you to do just like mechan- like just rotations. Just turn these. And I was like, yeah, no problem. So I did them, and like pens was wacky, and I, I did them both digitally, but I, I tried to keep the line weight consistent and really work hard at drawing like pen and drawing like Adam. And then I turned them in. Larry said he liked them. And then uh, Penn came by my cube on Chowder, and he was like, hey, man, you, those drawings are really good. And I was like, oh, thanks. And, and, you, and, and he was like, how'd you do that? And I was like, how'd I do what? And he was like, well, you really made it look like I drew one and you made it look like Adam drew the other one. And I was like, well, that's kind of part of the job of being a character designer is like sometimes you got to really jump around your styles. And he was like, OK, cool. I think we're going to bring you on. Um, and I was so psyched when when they told me they were going to bring me on the show. I was so excited. And I remember coming down and I think you were in the cubicle at the time, and you had those early pencil drawings of the Candy Kingdom. Yeah, the, and the tests that I had done. And I remember seeing those, Dan, and being like, this is insane. And that's when you were still working in pencil first. You know, I remember being around when you had to change that. Yeah, because yeah, those were the tests. I did all the tests in pencil, and then it was like, yeah, it came down to like one final weekend where they're like, we really want to hire you, but like you got to be able to like bust out multiple of these a day. And that's when I started drawing in the straight pen, and then and then it all worked out. But it was so exciting, like to see what you were doing, and then it was that it was literally like it was you, um, it was Pen Pat Adam, Nick Jennings was there. And then there were a couple, and then at the time, Tim McKeown and uh, Craig Lewis were actually writing on the show. Craig, I think my first day was Craig's last day. So, uh, and he's an amazing, he's an amazing writer-director. He created that show 
Saul of the Mo- Saul of the Mole Man. Do you remember right. that? Yeah, I remember. Yeah, I remember seeing that guy like one time in the writers' room. They're like, "That's the writer. He's from Adult Swim." And I was like, "Cool." And then like he was gone. Like I didn't never <laughs> see him again. That's like how the first. Thing, that's like how the beginning was. It's like, "Hey, yeah. what's up, man?" And then they're just like, "You never see that person again." And then and I remember like you know first season was tumultuous and you know uh, trying to put that team together because. Natasha was still in Arizona and they were showing me the work that she was doing and she was super raw and needed, you know, but so interesting and her choices were so neat. And then, and then I really tried to get Tom to come onto the show because Tom and I were classmates at SVA. Right. So was that, you made the big push for Tommy to come on? Well, I think what's funny is that when, when Robert Ryan Corey was on the show, he also knew Tom because, uh, because we have a mutual friend in this guy, Chris McDonald, Chris McD. Right. Who did the uh, art of Ooh book. He did the art of book. So Chris was an SVA guy and he ran meat house. So Chris was friends with Tom, Robert Ryan Corey and Chris worked at Spumco together for a little while. And, uh, so when Corey was on, he was like, we should get this guy, Tom, so I'm pretty sure either Corey or someone reached out to Tom super early days and Tom said no. Uh, and then I called Tom and I was like, hey, man, there's a show. And I had like I had put Tom up for some jobs in New York. Some went better than others. Um, but I called him. and I was like, Tom, I think the show is going to be is going to be so much fun. Like you're going to be on my team. We're going to it's it's perfect for you. And he was like, nah, I don't want to do it, you know, and. He wasn't interested in moving to L.A. I think right, he had just right. moved back to Brooklyn from Asheville. And then if I remember correctly, I called him a second time or maybe he called me back and he was like doing mural paintings for some guy in New York. Yeah, he was doing like he was doing like nurseries. He was like painting yeah. nurseries with with the dude. Like And like, you know, Tom showed me some of that stuff, like really beautiful you know, like, you know, like flowers and interesting ivy and vines and like all this. I mean, you know, Tom's a genius. Yeah. He's doing awesome stuff. But I think he and that guy got into a big fight. Oh. So, so Tom called me and said, all right, like, let's talk about it. And I sent Tom a test. And I don't even know if he ever really finished the test. I remember seeing the test. He did this centaur. This There was this in the early version, the earliest test. Um there was the centaur pulling a wagon. Maybe there was like a junk farmer or something. Yes, definitely. I remember the one, there was a character with a ton of junk on the back. Now that you mentioned, I think I remember the centaur pulling the cart as well. And Tom did those drawings. And, you know, even though they weren't quite what we wanted, like, I, you know, I think that I knew I didn't even have to test the guy because I just know how good he is. Yeah. And I knew to work with him. But um, Penn was just blown away. Uh, just at his inventiveness. So we called Tom, Tom took the job. And then, so that first design team was Natasha, myself and Tom. Uh, And it was great because I knew like Natasha had big ideas and was raw in a different way. Um, You know, Tom had big ideas and isn't a master draftsman, but like, but like didn't quite at the time he like, he couldn't like the simplification piece was a little bit tricky. And then I felt like, you know, like, and this is like kind of me shitting on myself a little bit. I was like, here's two people that have that, that brains work totally differently than mine. And, but I was like, I can help it all make sense and work in animation and, and bring it all together with kind of the production design that you had helped set up in the 
visual world. And again, all of it is inspired by Penn and, and, you know, and I was like, I think we can do this. Um, so, so yeah, Natasha was like freelancing from Arizona in the beginning. And I remember picking up Tom, I think he stayed at my place for like the first week or so he moved out. Um, and I picked him up at the airport and, uh, it was right when they put us on our first hiatus stand. Like, <laughs> yes. I remember he came and we were all like, <laughs> we're like, Oh yeah, we don't have jobs right now. And he was like, what? <laughs> yeah. And I didn't like it literally like, I remember it happened. I feel like it was like a Friday and like Friday morning, he got on the plane and then then like by uh, two hours later, we found out that there was going to be a hiatus for, you know, another three weeks or four weeks or whatever the time was. And then he landed. So like I couldn't even like I couldn't even tell him. Um, so I picked him up at the airport and I, we got in the car and I was like, hey, so I know I know you think you're starting work in a week or whatever, but it's going to get pushed a few more. Um, but it ended up actually working out. It was, uh, it wasn't, I mean, I'm sure it was terrifying for Tom. I remember he was freaked out because I, then, then it's like, cause yeah, I had been talking to him a little bit like online. Um, cause I had, I had, I had, uh, you know, bumped into him in New York and, and in some cons and stuff, we had crossed paths. And so we were talking a little bit, but I wasn't like, I didn't want to scare him off. So I didn't tell him like just how exactly scared I was still at that point. <laughs> and then I remember when he got there, then we, I remember kind of like unloading on him and he was like, Oh fuck. <laughs> well, I mean, it was, it was really crazy. Dan, were you at, did you go to that brothers in, and in, in, or brothers in insomnia board pitch? Did you go to that pitch? I don't it, know. It, it was on the first floor. It was in the it was in the old main conference room at Cartoon Network, and it was the first pitch that Penn did to the network with with lots of people. Uh-huh. So like, there was a it was like it was a pretty full room of you know and I don't think we had a crew, but there must have been Penn's friends in it. I remember I went to it and I hadn't started on the show yet. Yeah, uh, I I might have been. There. I do remember they used to do. Now that you mentioned, I remember they he used to do pitches like where you'd turn out the lights and it would be on the projector, right? Yes. Yeah. So that was one of those pitches, and um, it was an episode called Brothers in Insomnia, and I feel like I've told the story before. Is that the uh, one where they go inside the treehouse? They go inside the tree, and there's those those dew people that live inside the roots of the tree, and there's right. this weird demon. Um, and it's amazing. Uh, and I remember like there was a song in it. There was like a there was like 20 pages of the board missing, so Penn just kind of skipped over it. It was just a crazy pitch. But I remember walking out of that saying like this show is gonna change animation. Like it is so smart. It is so good. Like I've never seen anything like it. Um, and I just was so pumped. And I, I remember like walking out telling Pat and Penn, like how awesome I thought it was. And then I went back to my desk on chowder and I just kept thinking about it. And I think I got up a couple hours later and I was like, I got to go talk to them about it because I really think it was one of the best things I'd ever seen. Um, and I went in and I feel like Penn and Penn and Pat and Adam were all together in maybe Pat's office or Penn's office. And I was like, that was incredible. Like, how the like, what the what was the network reaction? And they looked at me, and they were like, they're throwing out the episode. We got to start all over. Oh my god, yes, dude. And There's I, so and much was, of that. And it was crazy because I, I like, I walked out of that, and I just was like, that was one of the best 
board pitches I have ever seen. Yeah. You know, like, you know, I, I was young. Like I had, I'd worked on a few shows at that point, but I'd seen good board pitches. I've seen bad board pitches. And I literally was like, this is one of, if not the best board pitch I've ever seen. And the network hated it. They just didn't get it. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of crazy. I feel like, you know, it's, it, it's, it's been a really, it was a really good lesson for me because I really do. And I think now like history has proven that adventure time really did change a lot of things yeah. and it was an outlier and, and, you know, if the network had more shows at that time, like maybe they would have canceled the show, but there was nothing else going on. Right. Um, and I think because it was so new and so fresh and so, so, and like, I don't even like using the word strange cause it's not strange. It was just really different than what was happening at the time across all of children's television, not just, you know, cartoon network. It really challenged everyone and they didn't know what they were looking at. And I, and I don't know if like it was like naive excitement that I was like this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Like I don't feel like I like I it feels silly to think that like oh I knew it was awesome. Like I don't know. I just remember loving it. Like and it inspired me in a way that like other things weren't at the time or no, or nothing had done that for me before. Yeah, no, uh, I, I remember the same feeling exactly. Like just being so blown away by how original it was and how like the, just the content was like amazing. Like you were just like, holy shit, this is like a fucking, this is like an epic movie. This is like stuff we see in like anime, you know, this is like, this is, this is not stuff that we're used to seeing in, in children's television programming. And it was so incredible, and then it was so baffling because the executives were just like not seeing at all what we were. We were all like, "This is insane," and they were all like, "This doesn't make any sense." Like, where are the character beats? Like, where? What is the point of all this? Like, it was so the 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 in the beginning, the the gap between the two sides seems so vast, right? Yeah, it's true. It was so it was crazy, um, but I'm happy that like you know that we got through that and like that first season was super tough. Um, and we, you know, there were a lot of board artists that didn't make it through. I mean, Doug to Naple, um, yeah, he was just it. freelancing anyway. Right. He was never going to be in my memory. He was just freelancing. Yeah. Maybe he was freelancing, but there were like, you know, um, I'm trying to think like, you know, there was a handful of board artists that like were on that first season. That those yeah, when I was first there, it was it was Armin, right? Armin was there, yeah. IP Armin, yeah. Um, and then his board partner was like a black dude with a kid. I can't yeah, remember what uh, his name was. Um, oh, I'm such a jerk. He's amazing. He was at Nickelodeon for a little bit too. Um, Oh my god! I can't believe I can't remember his name right now. I can see him in. in uh, I know I can see him perfectly. Um, he's an awesome cartoonist. Yeah, they were board partners. I'll, I'll, it'll come to me in the middle of, uh, in the middle of our conversation. I'm sure. Yeah, and they got, and they, and I don't remember who the other boarders were at the time. I remember Doug Tenaple was like partnered with some older white dude. Um, and then there was a. I remember there was an Asian guy who sat next to me who was at Klasky Chupo for a long time. He was there. And then, um, oh man, this is terrible. I can't believe I can't remember everyone's names. Uh, Joe Horn. Did you did you get to know Joe at all? Oh, the name sounds familiar. Joe is amazing. He's you know he's like a uh, an incredible director and cartoonist, and he made some awesome stuff at MTV Animation back in the day. But Joe is like just a crazy savant. 
um, genius person who was on the show doing boards. And I, I thought he was Doug's partner, but maybe he wasn't. Yeah, maybe he was. Um, and he was, uh, you know, he was doing stuff. But I feel like there were. And then Bert Yoon and Sean Jimenez were. That's right, Bert and Sean. I, I remembered Bert. And then that's right, you know, Sean. Sean, who's now, you know, art directing DuckTales. Oh, cool. um, yeah, and he's. And, you know, Sean's amazing. And that was, I think that was Sean's last board job um, was Adventure Time. Uh, and uh, they were all, it was crazy, you know, like that, it was just all turnover because the show was so different. And I think Penn and Pat were, were figuring out the voice of the show. And I don't even think Derek Dryman was on it in the very beginning. I feel like he came in. Yeah, to, no, he to, came in later and then Thorup was brought in after that. They were like yeah. trying to get an intermediary that could like translate. Like they needed a translator and like nobody could do it. Yeah, Thorup came in season two. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember because Derek had left and then, um, and then, and then Thorup came in. And then I think at that point, um, and I, and I, I feel like Thurup said this to me that like, you know, that he just was like, Oh, Penn doesn't need me. Like, you know, like he had kind of learned a lot in first season. You know, there was, there were some challenges definitely um, with having Derek on the show because I think what Penn and Pat wanted were often really different than what Derek wanted, but I think it was all really for the better. It was for the best. I think it was a, even though it was a brutal beginning, I think that a all of us learned so much um, that that it was really helpful. And, you know, Derek's super smart, funny guy, and um, his tone is different than those guys. But, yeah. you know, but I think it was really helpful to help build the, like, backbone of what the show could be and what it and what it needed to be. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it speaks to, it speaks to how much having the, not just, not just like talented people, but that they're the right fit. You know what I'm saying? Like that is truly everything. And that's somehow we ended up with like everybody being the perfect fit. Do you, do you remember, this is a, this is a, like a slight change of subject, but do you remember the feeling of, of of going into the main conference room when we were doing that art presentation, like after we got everything on the walls, you had that map on the left side. We had all that stuff. Like how did that feel for you when we walked into that room, we had laid all that green grass, fake AstroTurf down on the ground. Um, Yeah. And they made the giant cutout. Did they make the giant cutout of the treehouse for that? Or was that made for something else? uh, We yeah, didn't DC Smith made that? What I think so. Do? I think so. That was so cool. Yeah, I just remember being like the whole time. I just thought like this is the dopest project. Like, how can this not just be like bowling people over and them just being like, do it, do it? Like, I was just like, it was incredible. I mean, I remember that everything looked so good in there. It was so good. It was like it was the best feeling, and I remember seeing it all and just feeling like this is, this is such like a special show. And it, and that was like the moment where I think for us, we thought it was like an update, but I, it most, it most likely was another one of those do or die moments where they were like, if this doesn't come together, they're going to kill the show. Yeah. Uh, and we killed ourselves to put that room together. I remember yeah. it was like down to the wire. There were so many people working on like different aspects of the presentation, scrambling yeah. around to get it all ready. Of course, Nick, Nick Jennings is like doing all this stuff. And he was always yeah. like, he always had the best energy and like was so organized. Like, like he just impresses me to no end as a human being. Yeah, he's, uh, 
He's awesome. Nick was awesome. Again, like another amazing person to learn from for all of us at that at that point on that show. And like I think what's so cool about Nick was like he's an awesome painter, had spent, you know, whatever it was at that time, 10, 10 years on SpongeBob, maybe 15 years on SpongeBob. But like, you know, he's one of those people that like would go home and make stuff. And like, I remember he would show me stuff that he was working on with his kids or just for fun. And I was like, how do you have the energy to do all these things? And he was always painting like swords and yeah, he was always doing like all the Cub Scout stuff with his kids. He was like yeah. involved in everything, every because I would, you know, I would come in and meet with him every week, and yeah, he'd be like, he'd be just talking to me about all the insane stuff he was doing, and he was like the best dad. Like all he did was like awesome stuff with his kids, and it and it was fun because I feel like he brought so much of that energy to the show, and if there was something that we wanted to do that we couldn't figure out, he would just do it. Like I, in one of the early episodes. There's like a there's a sequence where I feel like maybe it's maybe it's prisoners prisoners like one of the first ones we made where like Finn and Jake are going through like an ice tunnel and I remember like trying to think about how we would design that because it would be a prop technically it's an animated BG right and sitting with Nick and being like how do we do this like yeah. how do we get and he was like oh I'll just model it in CG and you know, and we'll just, uh, we can make that work. And I was like, you can do that? He's like, yeah. And he did it. I remember, yeah. like, he just modeled this thing, created this loop, you know. it. I, you know, it, I'm sure he iterated a couple times. But I was like, whoa. Like, every art director I had worked with prior to that was super talented, but it was very much about, like, what what are the shipping materials? What, how do we communicate this for the studio to do and the fact that nick would just take some of those more challenging things and just go for it was yeah awesome. he was so excited to figure out how to make it work you know that was like his thing is like how can i help make this thing work and it was like yeah. any way and yeah the thing i the example i thought you were about to give which which was popping up in my head was i remember him having the same thing about um in the Enchiridion there's that scene where like where like Finn is like looking at something and there's all those like like dots moving over his face like light oh, effects yeah, yeah. and and he was like the same way like how can we figure out how to do this and like it was like so incredible yeah yeah he's like that's a that's a um that's one of the rare moments where Finn has pupils yeah or like eye whites because I did that design that special pose um and like it was like one of those weird cases where we we didn't know like can finn ever have whites around his eyes and at that moment we were like yeah we think he can and then like those episodes came back and i feel like Penn, i feel like the first time that came back pen or pat came into my office and was like we can never do that again or we always have to reverse it we got to do it like jake eye style oh right yeah where it's black on just, white like, or white on black yeah I just thought it was so weird. It was just too human. It was too too fleshy to see that. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's so funny. <laughs> we can never do that again. <laughs> yep, it was so interesting to see what they would react to. Uh, it was really fun, and I feel like there was amazing moments too, where like there was a crazy Akko drawing in one of the boards in one of those early episodes that was just like super raw and like um, like almost like she had had like drawn it with like the pet like a like like her pencil in her inside a fist and it yeah. was like really a push scream or something and i remember doing drawovers of that and trying to figure out the model and pat or pen probably pat saying like this doesn't feel like akko's drawing 
and I and I think I said like, well, let's just paste down the 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 drawing and say like, don't change anything. Like even use the line right. and see what happens. And I think that scene came back super weird, but like exactly what it needed to be. Yeah, um, you know that was fun. And like that makes makes me like think a lot about when we first saw the animation come back because we were working with two different animation studios. Right. Both of them would like fix all the drawings. And I remember, you know, having to do drawovers and write this whole kind of layout guide that was literally like follow the board. Like don't like don't put them on model. Just if it's a if it's a weird like if it's a broken drawing, do a broken drawing, but make it volumetric. Right. You know, make the forms work. But if but if Finn in one scene has toothpick arms and a giant head let it be that because that was drawn like that for a reason yeah Uh, and like to me you know like on flapjack there was a good amount of like really interesting pushed facial expressions your episodes always stood out because they really felt like you it Um, drove them nuts because i would draw like because i didn't have any experience doing anything and so and i like just always think people want me to do my thing you know which obviously didn't turn out to be the case on that show but yeah i was like i was doing all kinds of things that they hated they'd be like he can't his arms can't bend like that uh you can't draw this like that and they like give me the model sheet for like the fifth time Um, uh, another ghost trip, another one of my favorite ghost trip memories. I got, I got two. Uh-oh. Was uh, do you remember when you got in trouble for writing your name outside oh of the God. cubicle? <laughs> yes, yes. Actually, at the rap party, I bumped into what's his face, the dude, the maintenance guy with the fucking glasses. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and uh, we were laughing about it. I fucking had totally forgot about it. But yeah, I would write my name on the door of my cubicle. Sure. In Sharpie. In Sharpie. And uh, and then, like, I did that, and they got mad and painted over it. And then I think I wrote it back on. And I think I moved cubes at one point and wrote it back on. And they were just getting so mad at me. I think, it, oh, yeah, Lee, I think his name was. He wanted to yeah. definitely beat me up. He wanted to punch me in the head for sure. Lee Powers. Yes, Lee <laughs> Powers, dude. The Terminator, dude. The best thing, though, I think I think you're, like, selling it. Selling your... your how... how how intense uh, uh, your presentation can be because you had wrote it in Sharpie right. and then they painted over it, but you could still see the like the ghost image underneath where they had painted over. Yes. And yes. instead of writing your name again on top of where you wrote it, you wrote it below it. <laughs> so, like, so like it was, it was oh my like, God. it was like the, the most, uh, it was like such a um, intentional uh, move that you did that yeah. I just I always was like oh my god Dan is hilarious He's I so- know I used to have such a like I used to really I was still really in my phase of having a chip on my shoulder and being very into like being disruptive and like and like to kind of destroying stuff I was still like in a disruptive mode in my <laughs> life <laughs> but yeah I remember they got super mad because they were like uh-huh. you can't this was the whole thing they, he was like you can't tag in the building and i was like dude it's not a tag it's my name and we went back and forth like that like a million times they're like you cannot graffiti i'm like it's not graffiti dude i'm writing my name on my door (laughs) so So insane so good uh uh the other thing that i loved was you know we all were big lost fans at the time and i remember you came to it late and you were looking for i feel like you were like renting the dvds at the at the library or you were getting stuff. And I remember you posted 
like someone buy me uh someone someone send me lost season two or season three and then uh and dustin harbin who's who i got to know after this um sent it to you do you and then you did that that lost drawing for him do you remember that yeah i said i said i watched the first season and i got totally hooked which was funny because i always used to make fun of my friends who liked lost before i had seen a couple episodes i thought it was super corny you know and we would always crack on it and then um and then the girl that i was dating and uh my my buddy steve tomlinson both told me like you gotta watch this you gotta watch this so i i watched the first season out there and i got so hooked and i was like whoever sends me seasons two and three of uh of lost i will make you a drawing of and dustin harbin like over like amazoned me like two-day shipping or like overnighted like like those 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 seasons and it took me an hour i mean uh, it took me an hour it took me a year to get him that drawing because we were working on adventure time and uh but i it was a double like 11 by 17 original drawing and that's still one of like the coolest drawings i've ever done it was like it basically was like it was like the first like three or four seasons of lost like all just like combined into one drawing yeah it was an it's an amazing drawing i think it's like it's a it's a seminal piece of uh of ghost shrimp uh artwork definitely because i i got to know dustin you know through the cons uh a few years later and I remember talking about that and he was like, he just was like, he told me that he was just following you on Twitter or wherever you posted it. Facebook, Maybe it was yeah. Facebook and like he was a friend on there and he just loved your work. And he was just like, and Dustin's like just one of the nicest Southern gentlemen you'll ever meet. And he just was like, I just, you know, I like that guy's work and I, I just, you know, I sent him the DVDs <laughs> and, uh, and it was so cool. Um, uh, but yeah, I love that. I love that you did that. I love that. Like, that's something that is in your, you know, I don't know, like to ask the universe to send you lost DVDs. I know, it's so bizarre. It's so bizarre. <laughs> but I feel like people do that all the time now. Like, I feel like I see that kind of stuff happening constantly. Right. Uh, it's almost like you basically kickstarted that DVD and the reward was a drawing. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's very true. It was very early crowdfunding. <laughs> yeah, crowdfunded that. And, uh, uh, but I love that drawing. I, I thought that it was, you know, it was such a good one. Yeah, um, yeah, we made prints of that in the office and gave it out to everybody because we would have, and I've, I've totally forgot to talk about this, I think, in, in uh, times I've talked about Cartoon Network and stuff, is that we would have really rowdy lost parties at the studio. Did you ever come to those? Yeah, I came to a few. Yeah, yeah, that was really fun. Um, we would sit there and watch and, and, you know, drink whiskey or whatever and just get wasted and fucking watch the show and just have our minds blown every time, no matter what was happening. It was so great. You came, you came to my finale party. <laughs> I know, I, I that was great. I remember that. Um, yeah, we went to the, the, the series finale party in your backyard. That was super fun. So anticipated. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. I loved it at the time, but later on, I didn't like it. I think I remember you. Did you react negatively to it right away? I can't remember. I I know some people definitely did. Yeah. Um. I I I don't want to. I don't want to say I didn't like it and pretend like I was cool or something. I yeah. probably yeah. loved it because I was so on the journey. I was you know, so, like, yeah, I, was, I was so committed. I couldn't not have liked it. <laughs> But I definitely remember. I rem- I don't know if I ever told you this, but the actor that played Jacob, um, he he must have lived in Valencia, where I live. So he must have lived up here. And in the middle of us like being obsessed with loss, lost, 
I remember going to the supermarket and I was in like the produce section and I was like pick, picking up carrots or something. And I looked over and then I saw Jacob and he like looked at me in the eyes and then went down. And, you know, it, it, like that character in everyone's backstories, right? Like, yeah, that's like what he does. And you're like, am I in the show right now? What the fuck? It, it really tripped me out. I really got spooked. I got <laughs> Dude, Actually, imagine how many people every single person he locks eyes with during that time period like was like fucking a, go- a goose was walking over their grave. That's the best. Yeah, yeah I'm going to die. I'm going <gasps> to die. I'm about to die. Oh, my God. No, I'm not one of the dumbers. Don't don't look at me. Don't let people yeah. just throw their shit and start running. No. <laughs> and, then you bump, and then you run into the man in black like trying to get out of the store. He just happens to be walking in at that time. So it's, it's yeah i end up in the in, in the cabin <laughs> oh my god yeah. but it was it was a, it was a funny moment to see that see that but yeah i remember like that party was fun i remember it being really cold because we watched it outside right. i like, brought my tv outside but it got really cold at night oh. and uh but that was really fun it was like a it was such a cool highlight of uh of all and i think at that point like Ian Jones Cordy had already moved out, so he was there, and Rebecca yeah. was on the show. Yeah, there was like, a lot of people at that party. I, had, I feel like there was like your backyard, backyard was packed. Yeah, we filled my backyard. Uh, it was really fun, uh, and we did like an art swap. It was super nerdy. It was really fun. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, uh, but that was a good one. And then, uh, yeah, man, I don't know. I feel like those years were so. Um, I don't know. Like I, you know, I all of this finale stuff has been so exciting because it it's it's brought up so many emotions and 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 thoughts and like that show really changed my life you know like um it was so i learned so much about how to be an artist about how to be a manager about like what is important like what a what a what a crew dynamic could feel like, um, you know, what risk taking could actually be and what it could feel like kind of at every level from like really big, big broad stroke risk taking to like little things like really weird drawings that maybe were going to work. And most of them didn't work, but every once in a while they would, um, it was awesome. I mean, I, you know, I really, those are those, that was like, a, I feel so lucky to have been there with you, been there with everybody. Um, you know, I don't know. I feel like uh, it feels like I, I, in some ways when I like saying this, I feel kind of shitty because it doesn't feel like humble. Like it feels like it's like a boastful thing. But I don't know. Like, I, like I think it's important for people to hear that like this, like sometimes like this, like magical moment can happen in your career. And, you know, and it can mean so much. And it's crazy because, you know, I only did two and a half seasons and then I left, you know, you moved to the East Coast. Um, yeah. I left right after Pat left. Um, but like those friendships and relationships really continued, um, you know, and uh, I don't know. It, yeah, it's, I think because it was like so crazy, like we were like so banded together in the beginning because we all believed in this thing so much. And like the executives, like it really seemed like they kind of hated it in, in a way like that they wanted it to work, but that they just like every, it was like great after great, great idea after great idea, great outline after great outline, great board after great board, just getting like trashed. 
and we're all like we're like in a battle almost you know we're like a little platoon we're like a cartoon platoon like trying to just like get this thing across the line and like we did it and it really did it was so monumental and it and I feel like it really did, you know, I mean, nothing changes everything, but it did, you know, in, 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 in the way that can, it did sort of change everything. You know, I think it's set still such a high bar for television animation and, and imagination in shows and the level of like detail put into the production and the volume of work that went into every episode. Like they were all just insane to look at. Like you watch yeah. other shows and like, Man, there's no other show that you watch with that much just information in it, in the storyboard, in the backgrounds, in the character designs, in everything, in the in the level of animation, like you know, like the that horse that fucking what's his name? The horse that's on the ball. Like that animation is fucking amazing. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's amazing. Well, you know, like, you know, I, I feel like um you know, one of the things that you did which was so cool was you was was you really did and this is because you're a cartoonist like you're an illustrator but you're a cartoonist so like you're a storyteller in all of your drawings and like when you started just putting in the background a cop car sticking out of the ground and uh uh sorry i'm getting emails uh a cop car sticking out of the ground and you know a like a a sword through a skeleton's chest um, and in his hand is like a boombox or something like that kind of thing was like, wait a second, this is just a pan BG of woods. And like, you've, you just put all this interesting history and like all this stuff there that made, that made you go, wow, like this place was alive or even a skull on the ground, like from some kind of big beast with, with like plants growing out of it or, yeah. or, a flower. and it was like this real interesting combination of beautiful imagery but this sense of a world that doesn't exist anymore. Um, and I remember seeing that and, and that really changed the way we did all of the designs because it immediately it was like, oh, everything that can have a story should have a story. Yeah. So if we're drawing a teacup, you know, like let's or a mug, it should it should have a crack in it because somebody dropped it. Or yeah. it should have if I'm gonna draw a you know if we're gonna draw a person like that person needs to have a scar across their um across their chest and their you know their shirt should be sewed up you yeah, know like yeah. because because something happened and it should make sense and yeah. it should it should we should allude to the fact that that there's all this all this stuff um and like it was you know i remember a lot of times i would do I would get your BGs or Santino's BGs, and anytime there was like a poster or pictures or something, we would fill those in. Um, and I remember doing Marceline's interior of her house, which I feel like maybe it was a Santino drawing because I feel like you did her exterior, but maybe you did. No, the I did interior. the interiors as well. And I remember there was all of these like in, you know stuff in the in the um, you know on the walls, and I remember thinking to myself like what would and this is crazy because i don't know if you know i don't even know if this if anyone ever noticed this or if anyone like if pen and pat really noticed it maybe they would have had me take it out but i was like oh what would someone who's like who doesn't die like what would they be obsessed with and i was like oh maybe like religion so i remember doing all these drawings for like the the things in her 
um, in her house that were kind of like Russian, like iconography. So yeah. like saints and things, things with like characters with halos and like women with babies, you know, sort of like the Virgin Mary. And I remember just kind of putting these people and in my head I was like, oh yeah, like, well maybe Marceline, you know, and this is first season, like these characters weren't even really defined yet. It was like, maybe she would be upset, like in this infinite life. Like maybe there would be she would she would be interested in theology and things that weren't explained and, you know, um, and like larger things like that. And to me, like, you know, at the end of the day, they're just pictures on the wall of a BG. But like all of us, when we, when we could take a moment and try to make make everything mean something. Yeah. It you feel it like even if you don't get exactly the intention of what we were doing it doesn't really matter. It's like, you can't help but feel that we were all just layering story onto all this stuff. Yeah. 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 Well, it's like, this, like what, you know, Jesse's always talking about trying to get like the, like Matt, like real Matt, you know, he's really into different magic and stuff like that. And he's always trying to get the symbology and all that stuff of like the magic realm in there. And yeah, with the backgrounds, I was always trying to create a story beyond a story and I would even try to do it where, like, I would just see something in the background and I wouldn't understand it, but I would, it would just feel, I would be like, oh, that's the perfect thing to put there. And I wouldn't even understand it. So it would, like, definitely be super, like, mystical. And those were the things <laughs> that I was always trying to, like, to see in there, you know, and just fill it up with that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that was, you know, that, that was always one of the most fun things in, in, in the world was just, you know, just trying to put random, random layers in that just made people go, whoa, what the fuck? Because most people won't really see it all, but they'll just kind of feel the vibe of it. But then some people will like pause the fucking background and like write yeah. to me and be like, what is this? Why is this here? Like, well, some people will really see stuff. And it's like, it's so funny because you know, I always say like, I'll spend so long on some of these drawings just because I want to do an awesome drawing of it. Because to me, everything's an illustration and, and I'm always trying to entertain myself at my desk you know and uh but you know uh oh wait fuck i forgot what i was gonna say there (laughs) fuck sometimes i do that um this is i'm gonna i'm gonna change the subject okay yeah go for it have you talked about mars safari no i wrote that down though yeah you were the um you were the what was your position on that i forget you were like helping run all the shorts yeah so when i i had left adventure time i went to gravity falls and i did a season well i didn't do actually the the whole first season i spent i spent a little bit over a year on gravity i'd worked on the pilot while i was on adventure time and then i went over to help get the show going um, and then Cartoon Network called me back and they said, come back. And, and they kind of created this job for me in their new kind of shorts pilots program. So I went back and, uh, Mars Safari was the first one. I feel like you were the first one out of the gate. It was the first one that got green lit. Yeah. Yeah. And it was super, it was great because when they were, when they were trying to get me to come back to do that job, um, you know, it was like at the time Cartoon Network was like, you know, not great at development and there was always these big starts and stops and there was a moment of where they wanted to start again. Um, and that first class of projects that were on deck that I was going to get to oversee, um, you know, the pilot production of was yours was Steven universe was 
Tome of the Unknown, which became Over the Garden Wall, which was then there was Lakewood Plaza, which became OKKO. Wow. Um, it was crazy. Like it was, you know, uh, Benton had his short uh, paranormal paranormal roommates. Like oh, yeah. there were so many. Um, that was like the, those were like the early ones. I think I did like eleven of them yeah. over the years. But yeah, Mars Safari was the first one, and uh, it was so exciting to get to try to you know take your aesthetic um, and and you know really figure it out. And we animated in house like. I remember Pringle did a lot of the stuff on it and um, it was fun. It was like a really fun challenge to, to, to make that work. And it's a, you know, I think it's a hilarious, hilarious short. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it was, it didn't quite turn out, I think how I had hoped, but you know, I mean, considering the fact that, you know, I was, do we, cause, cause Curtis approached me to do that when I had, you know, when we were already basically leaving and I did that really quick after I, you know, stopped working on Adventure Time um, and was getting ready to move. And, uh, you know, my, my philosophy was just to try to keep it super simple so that we could try to pull it off, you know. Yeah. And uh, but then I was so I just did I did all my stuff. I did the storyboard and the designs and all that. And then we took that six week road trip and then got here and like started trying to, you know, build our whole you know, get our whole lifestyle off the ground here with Baby Wolfie, which was like an insane saga. And then in the meantime, they were trying to finish all that stuff up. And, you know, I feel like if I had been there, it probably would have been a, finished a little bit stronger. But, um, but yeah, I still think the writing is really funny. And I think that the characters are really funny. And uh, I wish that I had, you know, I wish it had come at a different time where I could have spent more time like making the world look really cool because it was so simple that I think it kind of sold it short. And I think if I had gone insane on the world of that, that it could have been, uh, you know, it could have been something really fun. But but it was at the same time, it was like I wasn't I had no intention of like staying and doing more work for Cartoon Network at that point. So it was kind of like. You know, it kind of would have been weird if they wanted to do it anyway. But yeah, it was that was so much fun, and that was such a learning experience for me um, to be able to uh, to be able to get that. And also, it also felt really good to me, redemption wise too, because of course the storyboard that I had done previous to that was you know the one that got me fired off of Flapjack. So then to have the <laughs> next storyboard I do, you know, get picked up for my own pilot felt like I felt like vindicated from that. Like, yeah, yeah fucking, I can do this at some level. Like, fuck you guys, you know. Yeah, like, that was good. It was a crazy. It was crazy. <laughs> it was really fun. You know, it was really fun. And uh, yeah, I definitely like to revisit it sometime. I'd like to do some like. I don't know, just play in that world a little bit, flesh out the world in some illustrations and maybe do a little bit of comic stuff. But yeah, it was so much fun and like doing all the voice stuff, like the like the um, you know, all the people that came in to do the voices, like we were dying laughing in the record for that. Like everybody was fucking losing their minds. Like, you know, the the Master Shake guy was the was was the main character, Emilio, and he was just like take after take after take was just like man he was just literally we were all like gonna pee our pants when he was doing all his readings it was so much fun dana snyder he's hilarious he's so good man and then and then dose one was the other character right um dose one was the narrator and he made all the music and like he did all the sound design for it um i wanted him to be emilio they wanted me to be emilio <laughs> and then we settled on we settled on master shake being emilio and then um and then uh 
of course, uh, Steve Little was um, oh, Bull Goose, right. the shark character, and he was so fucking funny. And then, um, uh, uh, what's his name? Um, uh, I can't remember his name. Jones. I can't remember his name. Uh, the dude who was a producer on um, uh, uh, Afro Samurai. What was that show called? Yeah, yeah Afro Samurai. Yeah, he was. Uh, was it that? Or no, Black Dynamite. Black Dynamite. Uh, One of the producers oh, of Black Carl Dynamite. Jones. Yeah, Carl Jones. Carl. Um, he was, uh, he was the Mr. Nuggets, the rooster and, uh, he was so funny, but, but that was like, we, he, he actually did a really good job and I was super happy with it, but we had gotten Carl Weathers to agree to be Mr. Nuggets and the studio said he's too old to do that voice, which oh. makes no goddamn sense. But I was like so pumped cause I'm like such a predator fan and stuff. And I was just like, so <laughs> that was like, that was the coolest part of the whole thing to me was, uh was gonna be him doing the doing that character's voice so that was a little disappointing but that would have been awesome but yeah. yeah no carl killed it so it was uh or uh what's his name what do we say his carl, name? yeah carl jones. yeah carl jones right i was thinking carl weathers again but yeah yeah that was it was so good man it was so fun and it, i just learned a ton you know it's so much fun to go through that process because like you know i never basically my time at cartoon network was like me going to animation school like i knew nothing about animation when i went there i thought i was gonna walk in and like people were gonna be animating the shows like all right there and yeah. you know and and you know all that i had really no absolutely no no clue how anything was made so um by the time i left i you know had a much better idea so that was you know that was great and then allowed me to work on another pilot with disney with mike moon and that was really fun um i think i sent you the storyboard for that um, i think that, that so, caveman yeah. one and uh so yeah it was, it was really fun man it's, it's fun to dabble in i you know i think i'll get you know i think i'll i'll probably dabble in it a little more i definitely like being a freelance illustrator the most um and and i definitely prefer that but it's uh it's the the magic of animation of of the possibilities of it is is so like enticing you know it's so cool um i uh think just thinking about you as a freelance illustrator um and i and i'm gonna i hope i haven't been misquoting you but i had you know i taught at cal arts in animation there for eight years and um you know we talk a lot about inspiration and like Way, ways to get yourself out of drawing ruts and and um, and different people's techniques and I tell I show your work in class because it's inspiring and then I often show your uh, your recruitment videos for Camp Coastwood just because yes, yeah. hilarious I, my favorite one is the the one where you're wearing the balaclava and you've got the uh, uh, a machete right. that's my personal, that's my personal favorite yeah. uh, but uh, I I I remember when I you know, because I am such a fan and I, and I eat a lot and I love looking at things. I remember asking you, like, who are the artists that you look at? Like, what are the things that you look at? And 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 maybe I miss I'm not remembering this correctly, but I remember you like straight up looking at me and saying, oh, I don't look at anyone else's artwork because I don't want anything influencing me. I need to be totally original and my own and i don't want other people's work to bleed into mine and you were like and i really try to not repeat myself um in what i'm doing and and the work i'm doing and i remember like you kind of just dropped that on me and i don't think i had ever really met someone who who actively avoided 
looking at things and avoided influence um, in that in in that way. Is am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, Is no, that... that's a hundred percent right. Yeah, yeah. Nowadays on Instagram, I I'm kind of I see more stuff, more modern stuff. But yeah, I always went out of my way to kind of avoid it because I just like I had this voice in my head coming out of school that was like I wanted to be I wanted my work to be as unique as possible and I wanted to make it like 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 super weird like I was you know like I just had this voice that was like the weirder you make your work the more you make it like you feel inside like the more it, people are gonna dig it and like I just wanted to be as original as I could. That was like what was in my head starting my starting out, like starting my career. So like that was definitely I was definitely, you know, definitely right there. And and you know, now like I said like with Instagram, I'll be like like I don't I don't go out of my way to avoid it as much. Um I don't really go actively looking for it, but yeah, like so many people would be into the illustration annuals and all this stuff and I was like I don't know. I just didn't, I wasn't that interested in it. I was more interested in looking in influences in like, honestly, like movies and like, and like music where like, you know, like hip hop music and then like weird movies like David Lynch movies and stuff like that where like, I was, I'm always more, I'm always trying to create a vibe with my work rather than a certain look or something like that, which is kind of funny because people identify me with a certain visual style or whatever, but I'm actually you know, I think people think too much about the actual marks on the paper as being the style. To me, your style is like the vibe and the concepts and stuff. So I was always just trying to, I don't know, keep all that stuff coming from a place that no one else would think of. And that's, that, that's really what the attraction to like living in the woods and doing all this stuff is. And, you know, cause I was like, I don't know anybody doing that. If I do all this weird shit, if I make my whole lifestyle, like this weird shit that no one else is doing, like that's going to make my work even more original. So yeah, I've always been like really like obsessed with that. It's awesome. It's, it's really, I don't know. It's cool. It's, 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 uh, I think it's really interesting and it's, um, and it's just a totally different way. And, and it's so cool that, that there isn't one way, there's lots of ways and, and you've got a great one. Uh, uh, I probably got to go soon, but I got two things. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure you got more. We should, we can, we should finish up whatever notes you've got. Yeah. One yeah. is Luther McLaren is the name of the board artist. We couldn't Luther. remember. Totally. Thank you, Luther. Luther. That's right, dude. I can picture him in a t-shirt and jeans, a little gold chain. Totally. Luther. Luther. Great guy. Yeah. Super. Shout tempora. out to Luther. Um, he did, um, I feel like they did that crazy businessman episode, business time. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, they did that one, which yeah. they're good. Uh, and then I thought of another favorite ghost shrimp m- memory was like, we were all sitting together. We all had our like weird cubicles near each other. And we were talking about memories from childhood and um and reminiscing things that we can't remember if they're real or not uh-huh. and i started talking about this movie that i that i had a that i thought that i had seen but i couldn't i literally was like i don't know if this was a movie i've seen or if this was a nightmare i had and i was describing it and i was like it was really scary and had this weird moments this like action sequence and i remember this giant kind of machine in the middle of the woods that like made ice cubes and you were like that's mosquito coast yeah one of my favorite movies of all time yeah and i was what and you were like oh yeah man like that's actually one of my favorite movies and you you had the dvd 
you brought it in the next day for me. Um, I went home and like you, it was like one of those weird things that were, that like was, I would think about that movie and not know what I was. Like, yeah. It was like, you just had that image in your head and you didn't know where it had gotten from. Yeah. I had no clue. And then, and then you, and then you let me borrow the movie and that is a crazy movie. It's such a crazy movie. Yeah. And, and it has it a ton of like parallels to like, like me in my life too. <laughs> much sense that that is one of your favorite movies because yeah, yeah. like it's your life it, like it, it's uh yeah you know, i mean you're as much of an anarchist i think as harrison ford's character yeah but, it's uh, like the it's like the adult lord of the flies kind of yeah. it is a crazy crazy movie and yeah. and, and you unlocked uh, unlocked that for me that's so funny that's great i totally remember that yeah now that you say that that's awesome it was a good one. It was great. So thank you, Dan. Thank you for for bringing <laughs> yes, bringing rest, movie, bringing rest to my sleep. You. That's awesome. Yeah. So one other thing that I like to ask people when they come on this podcast, and this is your first time, we'll definitely have to get you back. But we like to uh, ask people if there is a particularly spooky or supernatural moment that you have experienced. You know the answer to this, I think. Okay. Uh, uh, maybe, uh, I saw a UFO, uh, Jesse had me on his podcast and I talked about it. Um, but, uh, I was in, it was after freshman year of college and my friend Vince and I, I'm from South Jersey. So like outside of the, basically right on the edge of the Pine Barren forest. Yeah. Which and is a spooky area, right? Really spooky. It's, you know, there's a lot of history. There's, uh, there's people there that live in the forest called the Pineys and, People, you know, we, we were told when we were in school, and who knows now if it's true, but they were like descendants of of uh, of uh, Civil War soldiers, like yeah. generations of people who had been out there oh um, and living kind of off the grid, called the Pineys. And I I remember seeing a piney once, and it was really scary. And he had these like giant like German shepherds with him in the middle of the woods. And I swear, like there it was in the middle of the woods, and he had one of those like Ritz photo booths. So it was like one of the like one hour photo booths that used to be able to drive up to like in the 80s. Yeah. And it was like the middle of the woods. And it was this guy with his two dogs like barking at us. But, you know, that's just weird Pine Barren stuff. Um, but my friend Vince and I were out and it was like, you know, mid-June. We were outside and uh, and listened to Jesse's podcast for the full story. But basically this thing came across up. up it, it rose up from behind the trees in front of us. And kind of slowly floated towards us, and it was it was truly a UFO. Like it was not a helicopter. Wow. We don't know what it was. Um, and the the it wasn't making any real sound. There was like a hum, but there was no wind. There was nothing like being thrown around. And I remember Vince and I. Um, Vince was like hugging a tree. I was standing next to him. I remember this feeling of pressure on my back, and he and he said the same. Like it felt like we were being pushed down, um, and I just remember saying "fuck, fuck, 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 fuck," and I kind of beelined out of the out of the out of the forest towards where I thought my house was, and I kind of took I went the wrong way because I was disoriented, and this thing just kind of sw- like just kind of made a one eighty or a ninety degree turn flew right over top of me. There was this like weird beam of light that wasn't like down from the center. It wasn't like X-File style. It was kind of off to the side. More, It felt more like a searchlight. Uh, and it kind of like flew over me. Uh, I was running so hard that my shoes flew off my feet. Oh my God. 
and I ran back to my house. We watched it kind of float off. And I remember not being able to sleep that night. I had to like make a decision. Um, he slept at my house that night. Uh, I made a decision to like, I, I, I had to agree with my brain that I may never know what it was. Um, so finally got to sleep. We woke up in the morning. We're talking about it. We called the like non-emergency line to see if there was any, um, Oh, we, 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 then we ended up the next day going to his house and, and he told his brothers and his dad, and then there was like a bank robbery in the neighbor, like in our town. So we were like, Oh, I wonder if it was like a police helicopter looking for bank robbers, but it wasn't a helicopter. Right. And we, uh, we called the police and we were like, Hey, was there any, heli- wait, were there any police helicopters in the neighborhood? And like where, where near where my house was. And they were like, hold on a second. And they put us on hold and they came back and they were like, there was no, there were no helicopters in the area, no police helicopters. But oddly enough, we did find a horse without a rider, like near your house, like the trails in the woods near my house, which that was weird that they told me that first of all. It is weird. And then, um, uh, uh, and it was just super scary. So then we tried to go back the next night and the wind started whipping and we saw a guy like in like a business suit and running shoes like not far from that part of the woods, like on the road, but like, like kind of an odd sight to see someone in like running shoes walking in the middle of the night wearing like a business suit, yeah. like a gray suit. So that was weird. We like we got spooks. We left, and then uh, uh, long story short, that friend he ended up um, bartending uh, in our in our you know outside of our town, and um, years later, and a lot of pilots would come in from McGuire Air Force Base in South Jersey. And he said that one night he was he got the pilots drunk intentionally to start asking them questions about if they had ever experienced anything. And they weren't like they wouldn't crack, they wouldn't crack, they wouldn't crack. And then uh and then they finally and the night came back over to him. They were like, listen, like you know, like we haven't seen, like, like we haven't seen anything like you just, like you're describing that you guys experienced, but, um, but there's a Homeland security base that there are definitely craft that match some of the description that you're talking about that the government uses. Wow. So like it was crazy. It took, it literally took like over 10 years for us to get, to get that. And we still don't know what it was. And actually when bin Laden, um, when bin Laden was killed, there, there was that stealth helicopter that crashed. Right. And I was obsessively trying to find information about that helicopter because I was like, well, maybe that's what we saw. Wow. Cause it had these like weird rotor blades and like this, it was, it muffled the sound. And I was like, well, maybe that's why, what it was that we, what we heard. Cause it had this like, you know, this different sound signature than a normal helicopter, wow. but like throw up so like create so much wind and so much stuff and that wasn't what we experienced um so yeah to this day like we don't i don't know what it was that we saw but but you know in that moment i remember again running back to my house and vince we got back to my house and and i and like we like kind of couldn't speak to each other for a little while and he described the feeling that he had was that he thought he was never going home ever again oh my god Uh, and I and I have never been more terrified of anything in my life. Um, and it, it actually was like seeing airplanes at night in the night sky, like kind of spooked me for a long time because I would like wait to see a blinking light to make sure it was like a commercial jet. Yeah. Um, and I got like it really was like a 
like a traumatic experience um, to go through. And it's so silly to, to think that that's what it was, but man, it caught us off guard and it was absolutely terrifying. My God, that's so spooky. That's a really good story. It was crazy. It was a crazy <laughs> oh my God. That's amazing. Um, uh, oh, so, so, um, so wrapping up. Uh, so you, currently you have jumped over to the uh, executive side of the, yeah. of the spectrum here and you're working over at Netflix now. That's true. Yeah, I started at Netflix about eight months ago. I was an exec at Nickelodeon for four years. Um, and uh, uh, and yeah, I made that transition. That Cartoon Network job was kind of that the half step um, onto that side, overseeing those development projects. Right. I just realized I really, as much as I love designing, what I love more is like helping people execute their vision and yeah. really speak their voice and you know, to work on 11 projects in two years at Cartoon Network was amazing. And then even more than that, you know, at Nickelodeon and then now at Netflix, I get to really, um, you know, animation is, you know, brings so much joy to, to, to Netflix users around the world that like, it's awesome to be able to help, um, kind of grow animation at Netflix because the, you know, the, the audience is massive and the diversity of styles and tones and, and creators' voices that we get to celebrate on Netflix is unlike anything I've experienced at any of the networks or studios I've worked at. That's so phenomenal. So, yeah, we'll definitely have to get you back on when you can talk about when projects start to come out and, and all that. I can't wait to hear more about the experience working over there. It's great, and uh, I think people are going to be really excited as we start announcing more and more of what we're up to. That's so cool. That's so fantastic. Um, and, of course, uh, we would be remiss if we didn't uh, you know, reminisce over that I was the voice of the first Phil character <laughs> in Adventure Time in City of Thieves, my one and only voice cameo, you, uh, you, which I did in the, in the last episode, but I'll do again, where I said, my jammies, my glasses. <laughs> it's like I, it's like I'm listening to myself. It's incredible. That was really funny when they're like, "Yeah, you're gonna be Phil," and they were like, "Yeah, make him sound <laughs> stupid." <laughs> they were like, "No, no, wussier. Like make him even more, make him sound even more like a weenie." <sighs> Uh, that was really fun that was really fun wolfie gets a kick out of that too that i uh wolfie loves adventure time he watches it over and over again obsessively and he he likes that i did a voice so well and the weird thing was i originally it was going to be carl weathers but <laughs> said he was too old so yeah, they was, settled with you so much too old <laughs> his voice is much too old <laughs> Awesome. Well, hey, man, thanks for having me on, Dan. It's awesome, and I, I miss you. It's great talking, and uh, I feel I feel lucky to be uh, uh, on the podcast. And it's been, you know, it was an honor working with you on Adventure Time, and to be part of that project, and to 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 see the world celebrate all the work we did is so cool. Absolutely. And, uh, uh, happy to have been there with you during it. Definitely. So, uh, where can people find you? I'm on Instagram. Phil Rinda, a very original name. Uh, and then I'm on my Twitter every once in a while. But I think like my Insta's pretty good. I did I was posting some 
Adventure Time kind of licensing art over the last uh, few days. I'm yeah, on there. dude, you, were post, you posted up that original one. That's one of the first things I really remember was the one of them running with the stuff coming out of their bag. I remember you working on that, and that yeah. has become such an iconic. You know, you've I've yeah. seen that image a million times. It's so yeah. cool. Uh, and then I also remember that. Um, did you design the sword, the first sword? Um, yeah, I think I did, but I'm trying to remember like the, oh man, I don't know if, if it was in a pen or pat board, the one with like the hilt is kind of the leathers coming off of it. And there's all those, it's like the golden sword. Yeah, It's a golden with, sword. And it's got like blue wrap and like a red dot. Yeah. Cause, Cause I remember they made a really cool, like, they like made the toy. toy. Yeah. yeah. And I was I, like, oh wow, the film must be so excited. That's why I had it in my mind that like. You know, I mean, it probably it was in a board or whatever first, but like that you had yeah. done the actual like yeah. drawing of that sword. I did the yeah, that was I I definitely I did that drawing. Yeah, uh, I did I did the final design. I I can't remember where it came from first um, and how much you know I brought to it, but that definitely was that was yeah that was my that was my sword. And you know, I remember when I drew it, I just assumed it was a junk sword that Finn would toss. Yeah, and like. He used it. He used it for like the entire first season, or even longer. Yeah. And like, sort kind of became more important later on. Um, but I just like I, I I drew that junk sword, thinking it was gonna be. It wasn't gonna uh, hang around too long. Um, but it did. It hung around a long time. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that that was a really good toy. We still have uh, at least one of them, and they were actually pretty hard. Like you could really give someone a good whack with that. <laughs> there's an episode of some weird uh, blacksmith show where they actually made the sword i saw that i think i've seen that yeah it's pretty crazy that's so cool all right cool well we'll click off and uh say goodbye but you can say goodbye to the listeners thanks man goodbye uh uh everyone listening uh to me and dan talk via your earbuds or on your long commute reminiscing about our friendship and our time on the wonderful Adventure Time production. I hope you enjoyed the show. Boom. Perfect. Tune in next week. Yeah, I love it. Another scorcher from the Ghost Shrimp and Friends podcast. You know what I'm saying? Shout out to the homie Phil Rinda. Um, best of luck at the, at the job at Netflix. Um, and I will definitely check back in with him in the future, you know what I'm saying? Cause we're already in the future. We already know what happens. We already know how it all plays out, but we don't want to spoil it for you. You know what I'm saying? That would just be rude. Um, so let's see what's up. What's new with me? Um, just finished that flying Lotus t-shirt design that I've been, uh, that I've been, you know, trying to uh, get off the desk, um, and uh, I put that up on Instagram and my website. Be sure to check that out. That was a really fun job, dream job for me. Um, I've wanted to work with Flying Lotus for some time um, since we since we met uh, back in LA. I was chilling at Amoeba uh, Records with Daedalus, uh, talking about doing some work for him um, before I had done his album cover for uh, the album Drown Out. And uh, we bumped into Flying Lotus and, uh, you know, got introduced to him and, and, you know, I've been a fan of his stuff. So definitely a dream job and, uh, you know, really pushing to get up on uh, one of his next album covers. You know what I'm saying? Not satisfied with the shirt. You know, as soon as I was done, I was up on IG, uh, 
this morning uh talking to him about you know what's next let's get this album cover you know what i'm saying because that's a world championship mentality you know what i'm saying i'm the album cover motherfucking champion of the world so i go after it you know i don't sit on the sidelines and wait for shit to come to me i go after it and i get my work and then when shit comes to me i pick that up and i kill that too you know what i'm saying that's how we do it um so hopefully this talk was motivating for everybody. You know that this podcast is meant to be your weekly reminder um, that your goals are, uh, are you know, the only thing between you and your goals is just ambition, um, determination, inspiration, work ethic, um, you know, positive routines, productive habits. You know, this is very doable. Uh, it wasn't magic that, you know, Phil ended up having the having the career that he had, um, that he's having and and. and and same with me and same with anybody that you know who ha- who has had creative longevity you know uh an actual not just a not just a not just a you know a few years as a successful artist uh but actually creating a career for themselves you know and it's creating opportunities it's getting in there it's uh it's, uh, you know, every time you get an opportunity going above and beyond. And I definitely saw Phil do that. That's how he excelled at Cartoon Network. And that's how he rose up through the ranks of multiple studios. That's how you get that big money. You go through, you go from studio to studio, you know, because they want to figure, they want to line your pockets so you can get up in there. So, you know, shout out to Phil for cashing them checks. Get that money, player. Um, let's see what else. Uh, I am about to uh, get on that album cover for Sadat X, uh, the, or the, I should say, twelve-inch single cover for Sadat X, Razkaz, and Guilty Simpson. Um, that's the next one. That's the next deadline I gotta hit, and then I am going to be um uh, pushing on that uh pushing to finish up that second raw tray and that Uncle Terry album cover. You know what I'm saying? Um, I got a big old gift box coming from Raw. I saw that they were putting out um, uh, onesies, and I had to have that Raw onesie, so I hit them up. They're sending me that. I'm getting the rolling machine. I'm getting the new six-shooter. I'm getting the little uh, cone uh, filling scoop, Um, the Raw ring, you know what I'm saying, the Raw ring with the hole to put the joint in it. You know know I got to have all my fresh Raw gear, so you're going to be seeing some videos on Instagram um, of me with some fresh raw gear working on that raw tray uh pretty soon and i think they'll be announcing the release of the first tray in the next couple of weeks um they're talking about early october still so uh if you're not subscribed to at rock and roll like r-a-w-k um rock and roll um and i think it's like raw life 247 or something just just check out raw on instagram they have a bunch of feeds and they're all hype but the founder josh is rock and roll and he does hype videos um for all the products and uh, you know he's a real character. I cannot wait to uh, to see him hawk the tray and uh, talk about the series we're doing because we're gonna do we're supposed to do three of them. The one that I'm working on is the second of the third, um, so that's very exciting. And um, yeah, getting hit up for lots of new work, but uh, just trying to clear work off the desk and then um, get in some building on the house this fall and then uh, you know see what projects are out there. Talking about some big stuff happening, which is very exciting. Um, it is week two of the 12 week online group workshop. 
Uh, everybody's in there getting super hyped coming off of making their five-year plans and their vision of their best life and who they want to be. And they are jumping into doing that, uh, creating strong personal work this week. And the assignment is to create an illustration of their dream world and uh, take that as a jumping off point and take it as far as they can go and totally crush it. Um, so, uh, so that's going to be really fun to get in there and see what everybody comes up with every Tuesday. They post their concept work and get feedback. You know, the group gives feedback. Um, my homegirl, Celia Marquis, uh, a.k.a. Ghost Scout Babysitter's Club, is the assistant in there, crushing it with the feedback. You know, she sat in as an observer um, in round three, and uh, now in round four, she's the assistant. You know, hiring my my, my homies, my fellow scouts, and I'm continue, going to continue to do so. We got big plans for the workshop in 2019. Um, so if you are interested in getting in on this 12-week online group workshop. Um, there's going to be more opportunities to do so in 2019, but still pretty exclusive. Um, all four rounds have sold out so far. It's only 10 students per round. So um, if you want to get in on that, there's already a, there's already a notification list. Um, so get on it so that when that comes out, you know, it's not like a, it's not like a waiting list where there's a certain order. It's just that you're on that contact list. And when spots go up, I send out a video to the, to that email chain and you know, it's first come first serve, boom, 10 spots. They're, they're there till they're gone. Um, and then we do it all again, you know what I'm saying? So, um, so get up on that if you're interested. Um, it's been really cool. Obviously, if you're if you're like a hobbyist and you want to take your drawing to the next level, it's great for that. It's something that I kind of designed with with myself in mind. Like when I was coming out of college, uh, you know, hustling to create my freelance illustration career, kind of like the things that I wish I knew and just the experiences that uh, could have helped me, um, you know, kind of kind of bridge that gap. Obviously, I had to kind of put it together on my own and just talking to the homies and all that stuff. Um, but if you don't have that, you know, then this is kind of a, a, a creative community that you can jump into and, and, and hopefully help bridge that gap, get, get into your professional career. Um, some real nice surprises is that through the rounds, um, there's been uh, more professionals signing up, more people deep into their illustration career, into their career as a professional visual artist. Um, and, uh, you know, they're just, they're, they're, they're have a lucrative career, but it's not the career that they want creatively. You know, it's not their voice as an artist, uh, driving their work forward. And so, um, you know, it's been really fun to work with people already into their career. That's a fun surprise. That's continuing to grow <clears throat> through each round. And another fun thing is, um, you know, this round and last round, we had a couple people sign up that really, <clears throat> you know, don't draw much and aren't necessarily looking to have a career as a visual artist, but are just really interested in exploring who they are as a creative person and getting into the idea of creating the five-year plan, the vision of who they are, and just really incorporating more drawing and more creative thinking into their life as a whole. So that's been really cool. You know, people coming from the advertising world, the social media world. Um, there's a lady from Facebook in there now. She gave me a huge compliment. She said, you know, because I run the, I run the, uh, I I run the group on Facebook and she said, man, you know, I think that what you're doing with this group is one of the most innovative things on Facebook, you know, and I was like, holy shit, that's crazy. She was like, you're using Facebook better than Facebook is using Facebook. I'm not even making it up. So shout out to her. Big shouts. Um, that was incredible. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's what we do, man. You know, you got to see opportunities. I thought Facebook would be a really easy place to run this workshop through because that people, most people, I mean, it's, there's kind of an exodus going on now, but, 
you know, most people are already on there or have been on there or familiar with the platform. And uh, it just seemed like a real fun and easy way interface to connect with people on there. And, and it's worked really well. You know, eventually we'll probably have to move it off of Facebook. Um, I mean, I guess not not inevitably, but it kind of depends on the future of Facebook. But who knows? Maybe Facebook can become something more uh, progressive and productive in this way. You know, I was joking around telling her, let's get Mark Zuckerberg in the next vid chat. Let's talk about how to fucking save the world and save Facebook by turning it into a giant creative workshop. You know what I'm saying? I'm down. Mark Zuckerberg hit me up. Let's do it, baby. Let's. I'll, I'll be the consultant. We will transform Facebook into a giant creative workshop and unlock the creative potential of all these fucking human beings in this infinite universe you know we'll change it all we'll change everything you know we'll use this biggest gathering of 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 humans of this hive mind of this uh as elon musk would say this cyber this cybernetic cybertronic collective that is humans and facebook and social media and the internet let's take it and fucking make it into something that fucking really unlocks the potential of everybody because i feel like we're just scratching the surface y'all y'all know my steez i get hype another one of my students uh uh you know in the in the alumni group because once you get out of the workshop you go into the alumni group and we try to keep it hype in there and uh, share work and stuff like that and uh and one of my other one of my other we were talking about just kind of like the expectations of setting goals and and you know a lot of times you'll make really ambitious plans and you fall short of them but that's kind of the point you know it's kind of to kind of just test your destiny and figure out how to set realistic goals and and just stay motivated not let it bum you out when your goals don't come together you just reprioritize open goals are just an ongoing inspiration you just keep chasing them you know so it's never a failure to not accomplish your goal it's just like, oh, wow, what information can I take from falling short of this? Let me figure it out. Was I was I being over-optimistic and planning too much? Was I trying to do too much at one time? Do I need to prioritize and narrow my focus on this one thing that I really need to get done? Or is that not as important to me or whatever? You know, it's, it's a process. You're a work in progress all the time. Like a five-year plan is an evolving document. And, and we always say it's really just a practice to train your mind to be thinking of your greater goals and making decisions with your greater goals in mind as you go through your life. You know what I'm saying? So it's really just getting it. It's like getting in the gym and putting up shots, you know, getting in there, uh, planning it out on paper is really just practice to train your brain to just really think of your higher goals and to think of yourselves in those terms and stay ambitious and stay productive, you know, because when you got that shit written down on paper, it's like, let's fucking do this. You know, what am I doing if I'm writing it down or not doing it, you know? So, uh, but, but, she was in there saying, um, you know, that I have an ungodly amount of enthusiasm and an incredible ability to share it with everybody, which I fucking love, you know, because I do have an ungodly amount of enthusiasm. Um, and uh, I'm just a really hype individual, you know, and, and that's kind of like what Phil was talking about on this podcast. He was saying that, you know, I just come in and I'm just like a you know just like a just like a force of nature and just like i'm always me and i'm always gonna be me and sometimes that you know people i I give people the wrong first impression or whatever probably some people just never like me because i'm just like I don't know, whatever. I'm just a hype dude. I'm enthusiastic dude. I got uh, a lot. Of, I come in hot all the time. Um, so, uh, <laughs> you know, but I'm okay with that. You know, I'm trying to be cool. Um, I'm, I'm always maturing. You know, I definitely uh, have matured a lot over the years and, um, you know, have obviously gone from being, I had more of a destructive bent back in the days, back in those days, um, you know, early Cartoon Network days. I have more of a constructive bent now, um, you know, uh, you know, with, with, with uh with my voice as an artist i feel like you know i'm i'm uh, or maybe not even my voice as an artist but my my literal voice 
being an artist, you know, up on this podcast and up in the workshop, um, you know, I used to have more of an inappropriate sense of humor and kind of blast that out there to build my brand. Um, but you know, I feel like my brand is built to the point where I can still mess with that, but I have a big platform now and I want to actually really use it to help the people that were like struggling like me when I was a teenager and shit and, and, and earlier in my life to have, to be a role model for that. You know, I'm a, I want to be a role model for the fuck ups cause don't get it twisted. I am a fuck up. You know what I'm saying? I am a fuck up. I'm just found a way for it to work for me. You know what I'm saying? I found, I found a way to fuck up in a productive way in this world, you know? And that was largely through creating my own reality, through living out in the woods, through fucking doing my own shit and being my own boss. You know, um, you know, a lot of people were shocked that I left Cartoon Network, uh, like Phil was saying, but you know, I, I'm just wired to be my own boss. That's just, my thing you know that's just who i am so um you know but but it's been really fun to to mature and and to grow and to and to really get my voice going as an artist here or as as a as a god damn it not as an artist but as a as a as uh trying to actually be a role model and make people's lives better you know that's really important to me it's really important to me to inspire others you know that was always important just the method and the delivery i feel like you know, uh, my work, I was always trying to inspire others through my work before, but now I'm actually trying to inspire others through my social media, through the videos, um, through the, through the podcast. And, uh, it's, I think it's really made me, you know, a, a better leader. Um, Girl Scout training camp obviously had a lot to do with that really maturing me. I think that's really, you know, that and becoming a dad, um, really made me more mature and, and really made me think about, you know, what I'm, what, I, why, why I'm doing what I'm doing, you know, and, and, uh, and, and, and really wanting to push reality in a way where other people are choosing creative career paths, you know, and, uh, so that's what this podcast is about. It's about getting you hype, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, Wow, epic rant. I guess I didn't uh, talk enough in this episode, so I had to air it out on the back end. But uh, there's your there's your weekly dose of ghost shrimp for the week. Hopefully that was hype. Um, I always am like, oh, God, I turn everything into an inspirational speech. This must be so mind-numbing for people. But then I'll listen back, and I'll get hyped up about it. So I'm like, okay, if it's hyping me up, then it's probably good, right? I don't know. Is that the right metric to think of? Let me know. Am I hype? Am I whack? <laughs> Am I killing the, your vibe? Um, I don't know. Most of the feedback is that it's pretty hype and is keeping people motivated. So that's really the goal, you know? Um, and I just like to talk a lot. And yeah, you know, I do like to toot my own horn a bit just to get myself hyped up, you know? So uh, so yeah, but I, but hopefully I tooted, uh, I tooted Phil's horn enough on the front end of this pod. Um, I can't say enough, enough just how much I appreciate this dude. And uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to work together in the future, um, you know, because, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's really fun to work with people who really get you, who really know you um, and uh, and 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 who have a mutual appreciation. You know, I think that's where the best creative work comes from, where trust is there. You know, the best work always comes from like when I get to the work with the homie factor who I've done so much stuff with stuff like that. It's just like where there's a where you really get each other creatively and uh, you let each other just, just, just do your thing. There's trust there. You know, that's always the best. 
Um, yeah, I think that's it. So uh, let's get over to this Patreon. Um, if you uh, want to hear me rant louder and <laughs> more and 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 all that shit, if you if you if you are a fan of Go Shrimp, if you want to support what I'm doing, um, head over to Patreon.com/slash Go Shrimp uh, to uh, show some love for the podcast. Um, there's also hours of unreleased behind the scenes video behind the foreskin with go shrimp uh, mini sods um, I still haven't got a chance to release all the stuff there's over two hours of edited footage I basically have a feature length film of Go Scout training camp on the patreon in mini sod form right now and uh, you know once I get some more of this work off my desk I'm gonna be getting it out and and getting it onto the YouTube channel and uh, filling it with those marinated steak tip shout outs you know what I'm saying that you can get on the on the patreon um, and uh, yeah I you know I, I posted up the flying Lotus pencils um, in the patreon uh, you know uh, as they were in progress I try to I try to really give use that patreon as a real like fan club behind the scenes exclusive shit so if you're into my stuff for only one dollar per episode, um, you know, and, uh, I haven't even been getting four episodes out a month, so it's a pretty low, it's a pretty low buy-in, um, you know, to get in on that and to get access to all that, uh, extra content. And you also get the podcast two days in advance, um, which is fun. And, uh, you know what I'm saying? It just makes it, uh, it just makes it, uh, you know, easier for me to, to sit down and create that extra content. I have a whole bunch of, uh, time-lapse uh, footage of me uh, inking the Flying Lotus piece and I'm going to do a recap of coloring it and, and just talk about the project a little bit more. Um, so that's coming up on there. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's fun. If you like my shit, if you find me motivating, if you find me a useful component of your life, um, you know, if, if I can help remind you to keep your higher goals in mind, then, uh, jump in there and get even more of that shit. You know what I'm saying? Um, uh, yeah. So let's get in there. Um, let me pull it up here. I'm just fucking spacing out talking about all this shit. Why don't I fucking get to it? Um, let's see, patreon.com. Patreon's been turned out to be really cool. And don't just support me on Patreon, you know what I'm saying? Support Jesse Moynihan on on Patreon, support Andy Restino on Patreon. I definitely do. Um, I support the last podcast on the left on Patreon. Um, oh, I think we have a new uh $2 marin or that's a beef stew shout out right there. A big heaping bowl of beef stew going out to Ryan Quincy. Um, he hasn't been on here yet. Sorry, I, I didn't shout you out in the beginning. Um, I got carried away and uh, on that, but uh, let's give you a proper one. Shout out to Ryan Quincy. Um, welcome to the Patreon family. Um, uh, let's see. We are going to go to the people who supported. The last episode of the podcast. You know what I'm saying? We're always shouting out the people who supported the previous episode of the podcast. In this case, that was episode 50. Uh, supported by 47 patrons. Nice, guys. First of all, shout out. I know the last... I know people are probably really mad at me because the last couple episodes, I've neglected to shout out the $1 members. You know what I'm saying? That's ill. You know what I'm saying? That's ill. Um, so, uh, we're just going to give, uh, we're going to give the, the, you know, normally they don't even get shout outs for the $1, but today we're going to go in, we're going to give them some shout outs. Um, so big shout out to the $1 members, uh, Pratik, AKA Susie cream cheese. Wait a minute. She's a two, hers is $2, but she's in the $1. I don't know. We'll work that out later. 
Uh, big shout out to you. Uh, big $1 shout out to Sandrine Bellinger. Big shout out to the homie Michelle Dugan, a.k.a. Go Scout Mama again, and one of the illest Go Scouts on the planet. You know what I'm saying? Uh, big shout out to Aiden Sajati. Big shout out to Andy Ristino, one of the homies I was just talking about, Adventure Time alumni. Big shout out to Tommy Delaringa. Big shout out to M. Partridge. Oh, another Adventure Time alumni. Big shout out to Workshop Alumni, Carl McNaught. Big shout out to Marker Monsters. Big shout out to Reigning Defending Ghost Scout Training Camp Year 7 Camp Champion. Ghost Scout Mouse Barf, a.k.a. Maxwell Wilkins. He was a resident, and he was champion. He came, he saw, he championed. Uh, big shout out to Jose Garibaldi, another Cartoon Network alumni, right? Uh, shout out to fellow Pratt alumni, Ian Cinco. Big shout out to Greg Cyber. Uh, big shout out to uh, Ghost Scout Human Casserole, a.k.a. Allison Conway. <laughs> Human Casserole, one of the greatest code names ever. Uh, and then big shout out to Workshop alumni, Mars Loren. And uh, of course, Max's mom. Shout out to the beef jerky queen, Carmen Wilkins. I won't be mad if you hit me with some more beef jerky. Um, but, uh, yeah, just shout out to those $1 members. You know what I'm saying? I forgot to just shout them out at all. So we give them those, uh, we'll give them the, we'll give them the, uh, the, the, the beef stew level podcast. Um, uh, we really appreciate all the, all the, all the contributions, you know what I'm saying? Um, let's see. Uh, so of course we got the marinated steak tip shout outs coming in at $5 per podcast. Um, they end up here and they end up at the end of the full Behind the Foreskin episodes on YouTube, which I know we've been neglecting to get out, but but I have it's like five or six of them ready to go. I just got to get some goddamn time. I need an intern. Uh, my children need to grow up so they can be my interns. Um, so a uh, big shout out to Erica Melhus uh, at that $5 level. You know what I'm saying? Uh, shout out to Johan Elverby, $5 per podcast. Get yourself some steak tips, Sonny. Uh, another $5 contributor, Yvonne Santiago. Uh, coming in at that $3 level with a beef stew shout out. An extra full bowl goes out to Pablo Meiji, aka Young Wolf T. Can everybody get an aka going on? Give yourself a fucking code name, y'all. Uh, big shout out to uh, current workshopper Zeta, killing it in the workshop, getting hyped. You know what I'm saying? Fellow North, e- North uh, what do we call it? The fellow Northeast Kingdomer. You know what I'm saying? Up here in Vermont. Uh, shout out to Raphael Tang Hall, the homie from Pratt. One of my big influences in school and beyond. Uh, big shout out to Ghost Scout Sports Magic, a.k.a. Daniel Foothead. Incredible animator. Shout out to 
current client, Uncle Terry. The album cover is going to be smoking, son. Uh, big shout out to Hollywood. Big shot, director of the Kung Fu Panda and the Little Prince. And happy birthday to Mark. Uh, I did a, I did a, I did a freestyle portrait of Mark for his birthday, commissioned by uh, Kent Osborne. Hopefully, Mark liked that. Shout out to Mark Osborne. Happy birthday, Mark. Let me know if it's your birthday. If you support this fucking podcast and it's your birthday, y'all gonna get a birthday shout out. Okay, so let me know, uh, but don't lie about it, cause. This isn't Denny's, you know what I'm saying? Um, all right, uh, let's see. Big shout out to year six camp champion, uh, Ghost Scout Beard Lips, aka Krognak. Uh, big shout out to Devin Newman. Big shout out to Workshop Alumni, Johnny Glines. Big shout out to Denmark homie, Try Man Hunt. Big shout out to Ghost Scout Cheeky Bookie, aka Alexi Giroux. Big shout out to Ghost Scout Harvest Moon, aka two time Emmy Award winning writer Kent Osborne. Two time Emmy winning, nine time Emmy losing. Glasses half full still. I love it. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know what that means. <laughs> Ken, we're throwing a party for Ken on Saturday. Cookout for Kent. Holla. You know we're cooking out in the brand new pavilion that we put up during Ghost Scout training camp. We love it. You know what I'm saying? Scouts, roll up. Where's the scouts at? Uh, big shout out to Waste Zoid. Big shout out to Chris Burke. Get yourself some beef stew. Big shout out to Ghost Scout Michael Joran, aka wait, no, wait, is that it? Yeah, Michael Joran, right? Yeah, okay. Big shout out to Joran Thornton, aka Michael Joran. I just got a brain fart for a second. Uh, big shout out to Workshop Alumni and oh yeah, Joran's in the workshop right now and. Big shout out to this new person who is a workshop alumni and none other than Ghost Scout, Mr. Husband, a.k.a. Chris Murray. Big shout out to Bark the Dog, B-A-R-C, Barf, Barf, workshop, uh, previous workshop assistant, three-time workshop assistant, what, four, three-time camp counselor, Alexander Andrew Lansang, a.k.a. Bruce Bigums. Check out his coverage. Make sure you are following uh, Bark News, Bark the Dog, Bruce Bigums, whatever it is on Instagram, because the heat is coming. You know what I'm saying? Y'all about to get a way too in-depth look at Ghost Scout Training Camp. Shit got real this year. People died. It's all in the it's all in the expose. So check it out. Uh, spoiler alert, it is a cult. Um, big shout out to Michael Broncado. Get yourself some beef stew, Ryan Sims. Uh, big shout out to current workshopper, Jesse Premu. This is a real menagerie of callouts here. Big shout out to Steve Winfield Meyer, aka Ghost Scout Crocodile Dundee. Hopefully, all those camp wounds have healed. Uh, most injured at camp this year. 
Steve Winfield Meyer. Uh, let's see. Going out to Gerard Jones. Get yourself some beef stew. Big shout out to Spook Novel. Uh, big shout out to Ghost Scout. Dalton Stark, a.k.a. Velvet Dojo. Be sure to follow him. His shit is hype. He's climbing the ranks of Instagram. Big shout out to Jesse Kukuka Donnie. Big shout out to Curse Gift. Big shout out to Alejandro Fuentes. 12-week online group workshop alumni. Killing it. Uh, and last but not least, big shout out to Ethan Worthington. So big shout outs to every single person who uh, supported episode 50 of the Ghost Ripper Friends podcast. Let's see where we're at. Is this over two hours yet? Oh my God. Good. It's not. It's almost. Oh my God. Let's stop it. Um, so, uh, you know what? You know the deal. Um, you know, go out, pursue those goals. You know what I'm saying? Plan it out. Use today and tomorrow and this week to get, oh my God, I'm going to throw up, to get a little closer to your best life, you know what I'm saying, to to get a little closer to that life based around the things that are most personal, that are that you're most passionate about, and uh, while you're out there doing it, take some time to inspire others, you know what I'm saying, and uh, don't look for what's, you know, don't, don't look for the conflict in people, don't worry about where they're from, what their religion is, do they have the same beliefs as you, do they speak the same language as you, you know what I'm saying, look at them, they're, they're a fellow creative human being in this infinite universe, they have the same worries as you, they have the same fucking goals as you, you know, they want to do well for themselves. They want to do well for their friends and family. They want to be safe. They want to be happy. We all can figure this out, y'all. Don't believe. Don't buy into that mainstream social media hype, that mainstream reality hype, that fucking everything's falling apart and we're all at each other's throats. When you're out here in the streets, when you're out here in the world, it ain't like that. You know what I'm saying? I know it is in some places and I know it is. I know there's bad parts all over the world and that's why we need to come together and fucking change this shit. We have infinite potential. You know what I'm saying? But we got to actually... Every single human being on this planet wakes up every morning and decides who they're going to be and what they're going to do. It is not destiny. It is not fate that we have to be stuck in these loops. You know what I'm saying? These are all choices that we all wake up every single day and make. So what are you going to wake up tomorrow and do? Who are you going to wake up tomorrow and be? You know what I'm saying? Let's keep it positive. Let's keep it productive. And until next week... Peace out.